Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paranormal History Academy, the only academy that lets you get extra credit with seeing a ghost. That's some interesting extra credit. I wish I would have got that in high school. Right? That, that's one of the best things about this show. I am your paranormal researcher, Professor Brandon. And I'm your resident historian, Professor Travis. Today, we have a pretty interesting episode that's full of tons of crazy things. We've got civil war raids we've got gold stealing we've got insulin shock therapy and the ever famous lobotomy so it should be really cool isn't that right brandon yes honestly this is one of the freakiest places that we're going to be covering this season and i'm loving it oh i i'm super excited for this this week we're going to be going over the trans allegheny lunatic asylum in weston west virginia That's another place that's actually really close to us, isn't it, Travis? It is. It's not very far. It's, I believe, just a bit south of Morgantown, probably maybe three to four hours away. So it's relatively close. We're starting to move further and further out of our general footprint. So it's getting interesting. We're starting to expand out. And if you guys have any suggestions for what we could do for our second semester, please send that email to paranormalhistoryacademy at gmail.com. So, Travis, you mentioned that there are some Civil War soldiers here. What information do you have about that? So, there's a ton of crazy things that happened in this place before it even finished construction. So, the building was commissioned to be constructed by the government of the state of Virginia in the 1850s. In 1858, more specifically, during its construction, obviously in 1861, the Civil War broke out. And that kind of halted the construction of this building, which, by the way, is astounding, is one of the largest, I believe, uh, purely stonemason buildings in North America, because it had a very Tudor-esque and Gothic kind of style to it. And they built it entirely out of out of stone. So there was just tons of stonemasons building this place. And it was a really huge undertaking at that time, because no one really tried to to bring the light mental illness it was just a you went to jail and you went to the work camps have well, fun let's be honest mental illness at that time was just you're a demon or you have a demon in you yes fun fact up until the 1970s epilepsy was considered to be demonic possession or just a general cause of mental illness and insanity so it was a really again mental illness came a long way from there it helped in just a few decades it's come far so we go into 1861 the civil war kicks off when a colonel eurastus bernard tyler marched into the city of weston where this asylum was being built they ended up taking over the part of the asylum that was built and actually converting it into a base into what they called camp tyler and used that but their actual objective on invading the city and town of Weston was actually the bank. So the bank held more than $30,000 in gold bars, which was 
to be allocated to the workers building this massive asylum. And Colonel Tyler's worry was they are instead going to take that money and send it back to the city of Richmond to help fund the war in the South. And so their, their whole plan was to stop that. Well, really, it was to pay the stonemasons to build. So it, but they did end up taking over this money. There was a ton of back and forth between the Union and Confederate armies in this time. And it changed hands quite a, quite a bit until eventually the Civil War died off in 1864. And later at the end of that year, in October of 1864, the asylum was able to start taking its first residence. Okay, so they eventually got residents in there yes yes they eventually were able to actually open and start committing people now the actual asylum was kind of the brainchild of a dr kirkbride now dr kirkbride was a man that was kind of ahead of his time in all of this with him actually starting to take more of an interest in mental illness as a whole and saying, hey, the previous treatment of mental illness in which we locked you in dark, dank, dungeon-esque quarters, chained to a wall, really wasn't doing anything. And honestly, uh, I can't say I blame him. I don't see how that would help either. Not that some things that would happen here would be any help more helpful, but it was steps towards something. So he actually wanted to help the mentally ill rather than just hurt yes. them? Yeah, he wanted to actually start constructing better treatment plans for the mentally ill in this time and took a lot of them out of prison work camps. But in those years, the definition of the mentally ill encompassed a very wide array of people, like definitely things we wouldn't consider mentally ill today. So there was plenty of causes. Heck, in these times, just a few decades later from here, the asylum actually paid people to drop off residents. Like, hey, you got a family member you want to keep behind locked doors, you drop them off here and we'll give you money. It sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. It was really, really bizarre. So it just, mental illness as a whole was treated as a, you lock these people away and you don't let them see the light of day. But Dr. Kirkbride had a, a better option in building this asylum and actually kind of spearheading a lot of similar projects throughout the eastern united states and his whole process or thoughts on this was to build a place that if you actually look at the pictures you'll see there's vaulted ceilings there's skylights everywhere and he attributed to it being like hey give these people halls to roam around to to kind of be a little more free in what they do and to get plenty of sunlight and it should help it should help their prognoses. I'll tell you, it helps make it look even creepier. It does. I recommend listeners going and like trying to find pictures on this. We'll probably post a few on social media too. So you can just kind of take in the picture of this place. This place was huge. It, and it's terrifying. It, it absolutely is. I, I would definitely feel very uneasy entering this place. But the asylum ended up from the onset kind of blowing up it started out being able to house 250-ish patients. By 1880, it housed over 700, then moving into the 19, almost early 1940s to 1600. And by the 50s, it was at its peak capacity at 2,600 patients. So it was, it held a lot of people. 
and a lot of people have gone through these doors. Now, as I said, there was any people could drop off people for a number of different reasons. You know, like you could be get in there for just excessive masturbation. <laughs> Do you know that? Like that's, that that's, was considered mentally ill at the time. I hate to laugh, but that's kind of funny to hear. It is. I can think of a bunch of people in today that would be in an insane asylum back then. So, I mean, it's it's really strange. You could even just have people that uh, it could just be like, hey, my brother's a very annoying person. He's a very uh, or they're shut in. They're very uh, reclusive. Well, they get submitted to an insane asylum when it real, in all reality, we know now that they're just introvert. Heck, I've even seen where if you were lazy, you'd be thrown in there. Yeah. Just, hey, you don't want to work? Well, you must be mentally ill. So here you go. Toss you in there. It was, again, there was a lot of people in this building and a lot of it could be understood that they weren't genuinely mentally ill. Now, there were some that were. There were people that suffered from schizophrenia. There were people that suffered from epilepsy. But again, at the time, epilepsy was considered a mental illness. So just understand that. They thought that it was a gateway to, that led to other mental illnesses. Uh, there would be postmenopausal females that were here because and during those times in menopause, the hormone changes in your brain actually could lead to lunacy. And so it was all over the place. You could be admitted for any number of reasons into here. And the practices in curing these ailments as they, as they would see them were pretty extreme. Isn't that right? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, you have insulin shock therapy, you have lobotomy. I even think that there might have been a couple of cases of electroshock therapy too, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, there were reports of electroshock therapy happening on here. We don't have specific cases. One interesting one that we all know lobotomies. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fan of the of the paranormal. You're probably a fan of the history of a lot of these psychiatric asylums. So you're probably familiar with, with a lobotomy or being lobotomized. And the most popular one would be an ice pick using a long steel rod, driving it into the frontal cortex of your brain to sever those connections from your frontal lobe and the rest of your brain, which in most cases ended in fatalities. But that wasn't considered negative. It was just a, oh, well, the demon in your brain won. How messed and, up is that if that's your medical I practice? I know, like how I want to be a doctor in these times because they had the easiest way to get out of murdering people. <laughs> like, ah, the a, demon got you, it's okay. Uh, the demon in his blood won this time. But one such one that I didn't really know of until coming across this asylum was insulin shock therapy. So what insulin shock therapy was, was people that suffered from severe schizophrenia but had a good prognosis. They would undergo treatments where they would be macrodosed with insulin into their body until they became comatose. So they would keep them in an insulin-induced coma for months at a time. I mean, every day, just dosing them on insulin until they, they go unconscious for months until they went into remission. Now, in today, when doctors go back in the they state that a lot of the patients that underwent this therapy already had good prognoses and would have seen remission anyways. So really this did nothing. And if I'm to understand correctly, Brandon, it caused a lot of severe side effects. Yes. But before we get into those side effects, first of all, I want to say that this was modern medicine to them. This wasn't like anything 
trying to actually hurt the guy. They thought that they were helping these people. And even insulin shock therapy, it went on to like the 1950s. It's crazy because I actually know someone personally who was there helping them out with that. Oh, really? Yeah, it, that's how weird it is. And we think of it as barbaric and it is, but it did help or they thought it helped. But first with the insulin shock therapy, you would forget your name, forgetting names, memory loss over months, restlessness, decreased blood glucose, salvation, drowsiness, and a a pale appearance. So just general ill health. You're not. I mean, the blood glucose is very understandable with insulin because, you know, insulin is, is a drug that breaks down glucose in the blood, depending. And if you overdose with it every day, your body is very likely to not create it anymore. And with the lobotomy, it gets even worse. You have an increased temperature, vomiting, the loss of bowel and bladder control, apathy, lethargy, abnormal hunger, trauma, language difficulties, disorientation, agitation, mental dullness, vegetative state, and, you know, the occasional loss of life. Yeah, just every now and then someone might die from having a, a metal rod or a drill, you know, entered yeah. into their, the front of their skull. Like now, I'd seen videos of doctors in medical colleges giving like dissertations and things on lobotomies and they'd show them with a live person. They take a drill into their head, and just mush their brains, like now, just turn it into a smoothie. It does go into saying that a small percentage actually did get better. Most of them showed either negative side effects or they just stayed the same. And but the long what is term- what is quote unquote better in that scenario? I mean, apathy and lethargy, I guess, are better. But you see these people when they get out of it, or like you see pictures of it, and the reports are just not good. These people were not living; they were just there. Absolutely, like I. You'd think, like I said, they're they're severing your frontal lobe. <laughs> like they're they're mushing part of your brain. And yeah, I, I, there's no way that could be a good thing. There's no way that could actually do anything beneficial to a person. But again, these were very archaic because mental illness was so misunderstood. And the fact that through the lens of religious context, people misconstrued a lot of this and thought, well, there must be a demon or it must be this. They didn't know, nor did they really want to know. They just wanted to push these people out of the public eye. But again, though, this it wasn't like that they were trying to hurt these people. They were trying to help. And that can be said, but I mean, trying to help by shoving a metal rod through your eye. I don't know if that's considered help yes at no point will i dismiss that these people that some of them or most of them had the intention of helping these people but it comes off in that same regard as sometimes the cruelest of things come from the best of intentions oh my goodness yes and i'm gonna help you by killing you (laughs) there was one report that you blew my mind with when we were researching this and that was the guy that held the quote-unquote world record for most lobotomies done in two weeks? Yeah, it was insane. This man committed so many lobotomies. I think it was like 228 in a two-week span. Like we He had to math. be on a production line. 
we did the math. I think it was like 16 per day if he was working seven days a week. Yeah, it, it would. It was nuts to think that this man was like, all right, I'm going to go for the world record. And they dubbed this entire thing as, ironically, Operation Ice Pick. And it was, it blew my mind when I read. That's why I had to bring it to you. It was just incredible to think that this man, think you're one of the people living in this, in this asylum. And you had probably about a one in 10 chance of being picked. And like, guess what? You're just going to have a metal rod poked through you today for no other reason than because this guy wants to do it. It's kind of messed up, honestly. Like, hey, we're going to see how many people we can lobotomize in this two week period. And they did it. Now, with all of that kind of darker history there, you can kind of understand why there'd be some spiritual evidence of ghosts. Yeah, I, I, it's no small stretch of the mind to understand why there could be reported paranormal sightings. But before we get into the paranormal traps, when did this place close down? Oddly enough, so a lot of these mental asylums ran throughout the 1900s until certain legislations were passed that outlawed the practice. So this particular one went from 1861 all the way until 1994. That is three years before I was born. Yeah, it was, you know, a lot of people probably listening to this were born in the 90s. So think they were still lobotomizing people and just generally mistreating the mentally ill all the way up until the almost mid 90s. That is insane to think about. It's, it's really, really interesting to think about how far treatment for the mentally ill has come just from then and how much more accepted it is and much, how much more care people can get. We still have ways to go, but it is very nice to think that, hey, at least it wasn't 30 years ago when they were saying, hey, I'm just going to pump you full of insulin and see what happens, because why not? Honestly. Now, when the, when the place actually first started, there were reports of hauntings decades later, not even that long of this place being open. There were many reports of the staff even being treated violently. Like, there was a nurse found dead two months after she was reported missing yeah it was they quoted it being like an unused staircase that's why they didn't find her like if this woman was missing for two weeks you didn't two months two months yeah two months and they didn't think to check the stairwells no it's just oh yeah yeah it was unused so we'll just kind of write that off I mean, it, it kind of fits with the history of this building. I mean, this hit, this building came under fire so many times, like local newspapers would come in and publish tons of articles stating how unkempt, how dirty, unhygienic this is. Patients were completely neglected. A man committed suicide, if I'm not mistaken, and they didn't find him for eight days in his own room. How do you not get to that guy in eight days? Yeah, how do you how are you not checking the rooms of these patients every day when you know that they're mentally ill and more susceptible to suicide and you didn't think to check his room like you know it just but again it was unhygienic a lot of them reported to be naked their rooms covered in feces i mean and just no one took care of these people and the staff was just so unwilling to help by that time 
the staff would either not help or they'd be so understaffed because people would leave after beginning work there. And I could see why. Oh, there was definitely many, many reported uh, rapes that, you know, I say the word inmate, but residents would attempt to rape staff. They'd commit violence against each other. If I'm not mistaken, one of them, one man was murdered by two other residents. Yes, he was actually stabbed 17 times on that second floor. How the heck do you just sit there and continually stab this guy for 17 times, though? Yeah, and then another one, two inmates tried to hang a man, and then they failed, so they decided to crush his head under the bed frame. I mean, it's just it's just haunting to think. Speaking of the hauntings, though, all throughout all four floors of this asylum, you can hear the sounds of screams, banging on walls, doors slamming, moans, ominous kind of breathing, and my favorite, laughter. I mean, that kind of fits the bill with, with a psychiatric asylum. If I I'm walking it. down the halls and I just randomly hear laughter, I'm freaking the heck yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, I'm making it for the door. <laughs> I just, if, if you're, what's funny over there is probably not going to be funny to me. Part so of me would want to investigate, but at the same time, though, it's also terrifying to hear somebody laughing. Yeah, I think we all have a little bit of that, uh, that less than intelligent horror movie star in us that's like oh my goodness a suspicious sound i better go check it out we you all know. have that i'd be like okay well it's where's that front door i'm i'm i'm, I'm going this is time there's to leave. the the thought of okay i might get something cool and then there's the i'm gonna run yeah just as fast as i can out of there who's laughing now, i don't know maybe it was a funny joke but i'm not sticking around to find out now, like I said, I'm going to go over some of the floors, and this is just like one little fact about each floor, or two or three. There are multiple cases throughout all of these floors, so don't think I'm trying to just say that these are the main ones. But on the first floor, we have Ruth, and when she was alive, she hated men, and she was known to throw things. She's known to now push people against walls. Did she whistle. also? Th- so you're telling me she also throws hands? Oh, she throws hands. She throws those hands against men. She's, she's going to make you catch them. Oh, she is. On the second floor, there are a lot of shadow figures seen. And they hear ghosts saying, get out. Don't have to tell me twice. I mean, they probably wanted to get out at one point. So they, it's a, probably a fair warning more than trying to be malicious. Yeah, probably fair. Like, hey, dude, get out. Or maybe, maybe it's like residual and they're just like, get out. Get out. You don't want to be admitted here. You know, now, thinking people are coming there are still residents. Third floor has a cool character. His name is Big Jim. And something that's kind of known throughout the entire asylum is if you offer cigarettes, they are going to respond. Huh. I guess ghosts like to smoke in the afterlife. I guess so. I guess uh, and ghosts still need that nicotine fix after death. Big Jim is notably one of the guys that actually has done this. And he's been known to, he act, a group tried to mess with him or try and see if he'd be there, and they use the mag light. And they go, hey, if you want the cigarette, make the mag light flicker or something. Sure enough, it was flickering. Huh. So he's actually responding like, yeah, man, it's boring over here. I need my fix. Give me my fix now. Honestly say, I can't blame him. I can't either. I mean, if you're dead, who's really, 
Who's yeah. gonna worry about lung cancer when yeah. you're dead? Yeah, oh, I'm not worried about it. What are they gonna do? Kill me again? Yeah. And now the fir- fourth floor, that has the Civil War ghosts. Surprisingly, I mean there were a lot of people that died around there during the Civil War days because the the building again, as I said, was uh, originally named Camp Tyler by the Union Army by the Seventh Ohio Infantry under the command of Colonel Tyler. And then it was taken back by the Confederate Army, and then again taken back by the Union Army. So there was several skirmishes that would happen there. So I'm sure there was a ton of deaths that occurred as a result of the fighting to take control of this town. We have three notable spirits up there, and that is Jacob, who is supposedly a Civil War ghost. He's known to make strange noises, has constant banging, and sometimes talks. Oh, Then we have Lily, and she's kind of a sad one. She died of pneumonia. She was a young female. She was admitted during the Civil War, died there. You can either hear her crying or laughing in her room. And Laughing is a bit surprising. I mean, probably a nurse was telling a funny joke or something. Maybe. Lastly, we have another creeper. Another one. So we have another, another thing that likes to crawl on the floors. Oh, yeah. And what better place than the asylum for a weird creepy thing crawling all over the place Mm-mm. i don't do crawly things that is of course there's one here though it's funny to me it's kind of interesting that we went from hillview directly to here and we have another creeper but does it really surprise you though with all these places not at all not how they're like their ties throughout everything nope does not surprise me in the slightest a notable thing to talk about, though, is one of the old doctors at the hospital says that a spirit actually followed her home and haunted her to this day. Oh, really? Like, yes. actually left and just kind of latched on her. Like, I picture this ghost, itself. like, spider monkeying themselves to this nurse as she's just begrudgingly going home for the day. Man, that, you think you're done with it at the hospital now it's following you home that's terrifying yeah it's like well guess guess this is my life now i guess i made a new friend yeah i don't think it's a friend definitely not a friend but we would like to say thank you guys for listening to this episode and honestly thank you for sticking with us for this long already absolutely we can't thank each and every one of you enough for following us all the way to this third episode it's your support is really appreciated this was on the a little bit of a shorter side for episodes, but nonetheless, it was a lot of good content and a lot more. If you want to hear more in depth, we would be more than happy with doing a a kind of in-between episode just to kind of bring out some more facts and some more interesting things about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. But look forward to the next episode as we're going to be filming it on location at the Grand Midway Hotel. I am super stoked for this one. Me too. Something kind of cool to give you guys a little preview. It has the Guinness World Record for the largest Ouija board on their roof. I still want to get an inflatable planchard so we could just sit on there and see if we can ask it a question. Also, tune in. We are going to be live streaming it. We don't know if we're going to do tickets or not or make it an open one, but do look forward to that. You'll probably get to hear me scream like a little girl. Also, make sure to follow our social medias because you're not going to want to miss all that. We're going to be posting a lot of stuff there, so it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be pictures. We're going to try and get EVPs. We're going to do all kinds of fun little things for you guys. Also, like you said, 
check out our Facebook, our Twitter, Instagram, you name it, it's there. Also check out our Patreon. Our Patreon has tons of cool tiers and different rewards for you guys for subscribing. And we want to make sure we're giving you that content. But again, this has been the Paranormal History Academy. And thank you all so much for listening.